Hi, I'm Eric Gurna of Development Without Limits, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. So I'm here with Brad Lupian, who is co-founder and co-president of Champions. Um, the full name is Champions After School Adventure. What is it? Champions Adventure After School and Sports Programs, a bit of a mouthful. It's yeah. been shortened by our students down to Champions. Champions, right. I think it's been shortened by most people down to Champions. Absolutely. So uh, Brad co-founded and is co-president with Gary Lipsky of Champions. Um, we're here in beautiful San Diego. We're sitting on the balcony of my hotel room overlooking a bay with sailboats and a, an old steam wheel ship, and it's just gorgeous here. Um, we're he- we're both, we both happen to be here at the um, – up Your Game, Step Up High School Conference, Amp Up Middle School Conference, um, which is happening all week. They went from sort of the high school conference called Step Up to the middle school conference at the end of the week called Amp Up. We both happen to be in town, and I've been wanting to talk to Brad on Please Speak Freely, so I'm glad to have the opportunity to do it. So thanks for, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Your programs focus not entirely on high school and middle school, but mostly. Is that right? Predominantly. We have a handful of programs across Southern California um, 21 of our programs are specific comprehensive high school after-school programs. And, and that was how I, I got to know you. Um, you uh, did a presentation with Sam Piha a couple of years ago at, I, I think it was the National After-School Association Conference, and it was on high school programs. And, um, you know, I, I, I think back to that conversation, and you and I have got to know each other a little bit and work together a little bit since then. But I remember very distinctly, um, in your presentation that what really jumped out at me is that it seemed like you all had figured out how to do what a lot of other people have been talking about, and that is to make young people actual leaders in the program, to not just do youth leadership training and to not just create certain projects or um, pro, you know, activities where young people can be leaders, but they're leaders throughout the program, including designing the program and sort of running the program with you. Is that right? It is right. Uh I mean, I guess just spinning on that and riffing on that for a little bit, it's embarrassing to say, but now I'm happy to make it public. I didn't, I heard this term youth development and I feel like I've I've been in the field since I was in undergraduate programs Mm -hmm. up in Vermont and, and I heard youth development and I was like, okay. And I, I feel like we're still in a stage where people talk about youth development and everybody likes to throw in the term. Yeah. But seeing it actually in practice is... I haven't seen it a lot in actual practice now that I've actually learned the formal definition of what it is. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean? Like the formal definition of what it is or like what is it in practice for you? I come from uh, – this is a little bit of the backstory here, but I think it mm-hmm. begins to define it for me. I come from a family of teachers and my dad uh, was a PE and health teacher at a middle school in uh, Whitman, Massachusetts, for 37 years before retiring a couple years back. And he taught me what youth development was through his work well before I started Champions and well before I started hearing the term. And it was mm-hmm. the idea, for me, I see youth development as being the idea when we are taking young people and we're giving them some concrete life lessons and then we're asking them questions about how they interpret that information and then we're weaving in other programming and other opportunities for them based on their responses to those questions. Mm. Um, Asking a group of kids, hey, what do you want to do in your after-school program? 
that's not youth engagement. That's not youth development for me. I think presenting ideas, challenging them, asking questions, and then helping guide them on a path that relates to what they, uh, how they respond to that question is, is youth development. And that's really what we've tried to do with our programs. And I, I, it's not champions. I think there's lots of programs out there that are doing it, but those are the programs that I think are most uh, desirable and they're the programs that I want to try and be like. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because I've been, it's come up in a couple of these conversations that it seems to me that the process you just described, it's, there's a set of values that it's based on and the values are different than the values that a different process would be based on. So what I mean by that is like, it seems to me that when you talk about not just asking a group of young people or like making a suggestion box so they can suggest activities or something, but actually engaging with them in a critical conversation that takes place over time and that grows and develops. And then the program that you create together, it, it really, it gives weight to the, the, not just the suggestions that they have, but the interests that they have, regardless of whether they're the interests that you started out with or not. So, right. you know, it's, it's like, there's a level of dignity and respect that you're approaching the young people in your program with that I think is lacking when we approach young people like we know where we need them to get and we're just going to ask them, you know, for some guidance about how they might best like to get there. Right. You understand what I'm saying? I I do. Interestingly, when Champions first started back in 2001, we called ourselves coaches. And I think a lot of people do that now because I come from a sports background. Mm -hmm. I, I I learned a lot of the life lessons that, that I hold near and dear to me. I learned a lot of my values on a soccer field or, or mm-hmm. on the basketball court. So we always we built champions as being a sports-based youth development, a youth-based organization. Uh, now I've shifted that, and my team gets frustrated because I always change things up. I'm like, ah, I think we were doing it wrong for eight years. Let's start using <laughs> a different term. Now I actually refer to the older youth site coordinators and assistant coordinators and stuff. I say, listen, you're a guidance counselor. Uh-huh. You're a social worker in the school. Our, our young people don't, in the big urban settings in particular, they don't get enough opportunities, in my opinion, to have somebody just sit and actively listen to what they have to say, mm-hmm. to check in with them on the relationship between home and school, on the relationship between school and what they want to do in the future. So I say to my staff now, listen, you're, you're a guidance counselor. Um, unfortunately, I think there's a confidence issue with young educators, myself, I mean, with lots of educators, or I guess regardless of age, but inexperienced, I'll use the word inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Inexperienced educators lack the confidence to be able to sit there and really listen. Um, Mm. They want to try and educate. They want to try and teach. Let me give you, let me pour out information for you to soak in. I think the really high quality educators are the ones that are able to sit there and say, let me hear everything you have to tell me about what you want to be, do, think. And then I'll interject advice, suggestions, ideas, things that you might want to further explore as you talk to me. It's interesting. It reminds me, um, Alfie Cohn talks about, uh, uh, we should say less and ask more, you know, and it's a, it's a nice rule of thumb to think of in your mind as you're in that situation when you don't know what to do, when you don't know how to respond. It's like, Oh, if I just, if I, 
I have an inclination to, to say more. Maybe if I say less and ask more, you know, maybe that'll get me somewhere different. I never thought about it as a as a confidence thing that it that it takes a lot of confidence um, to to just listen in that way. And I'm, I'm wondering. I mean, for me, the way I heard what you just said is that the the confidence that you need is that when you do speak, it's going to have to be something that's somewhat. Uh, spontaneous and and responsive to what the young person is bringing up, rather than something that you prepped in advance. Is that is that sort of the the, the confidence that you're talking about? That you, there's the unknown. It's like you're going to have to respond to something, and it's totally unknown. You can prep your sort of capacities and skills, but you can't prep your script. Yeah, I, I yes. I mean, I think that that's what social workers do. I think that that's what therapists do. Mm-hmm. You you have some yeah. questions that you want to ask, and you have some leading questions that maybe mm-hmm. are rote and you use with everybody. But then from there, there can be no script mm-hmm. in, in educating young people. It has to be start the conversation and then really listen to what they say, and the response to their co- question should be the. That should define the path that you're going to take with their education, in particular in the after-school field. I mean, it wasn't – when I was in the classroom, it wasn't the same. And because of standards, in many ways, I had to say, okay, you guys want to talk about Mayans right now, but we're supposed to be talking about the the Inca (laughs) Empire. So, you know, maybe bad example, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why a lot of us end up in in after-school and other sorts of alternative situations rather than the the classroom. But – it, you, I think some people would start to get uncomfortable with how you're talking about it and referring to them as social workers and guidance counselors um, and even therapists, like you said, because those are – especially social work and therapists, those are um, highly – at this stage, they're highly credentialed positions that are – there's a lot of uh, regulations. You're, you know, you're a clinical social worker. You have this license. You have you know, all, this training, and um, you know, some people are critical of putting – young, you know, often inexperienced educators in college, straight out of college, whatever, into situations where they're not necessarily formally trained to be a social worker or a therapist and they're being asked to play a similar role. I would, I agree with you. Um, The three critical training pieces and professional development pieces for these less experienced educators without the credentials and without the you know uh, graduate level education in therapy or in mm-hmm. clinical psychology or whatever it might be is one let's teach young, let's teach our educators how to actively listen two mm-hmm. let's teach them what strengths perspective uh, thinking is and, and really embrace strengths perspective and then active listening and then most importantly train them when to bow out of the conversation mm-hmm. I mean I don't want my inexperienced staff to start asking questions and when the young person says I'm contemplating suicide to keep going in that conversation. So we really spend a lot of time training on, all right, go as far as you can go in that conversation, but you need to also have the confidence and, and be realistic enough to know when you say to a young person, I thank you so much for sharing that with me. I want to help you. I'll always be here for you. I think that there are some amazing things we can do together, but I really want you to talk to somebody else. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell somebody about what, you just said, or I want you to know that I want more help for you, so I want you to reach out to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable going any further with this conversation. I think it's something that we should bring in somebody else. Yeah, so it's uh, they're playing the role of like connector and and sort of like uh, 
playing a support role for that young person and helping them to connect to the the resources that they need. Absolutely. Uh, and, colleague and of mine, look at, listen, look at our look at it in our existing large urban high schools. Yeah. What's the caseload for a school social worker yeah. or a school guidance counselor? Hundreds. Yeah. If not more than hundreds. Right. That's. I don't think that was the way it was intended no. when, when we put school social workers in place. Right. So in many ways, I think the after-school staff can function as support staff to the existing school social workers, right. the LSWs. Yeah. A colleague of mine, Rebecca Fabiano, she talks about this notion she has um, of uh, every young person should have, um, uh, I think she calls it their team. I got to ask her. There's a, she, has a, she has a catchword for it. Um, but the idea is that like, you know, celebrities have like a stylist and they have a lawyer and they have a this and they have a that. They have a whole crew of people that are there to support their success right. and that young people need a crew of people to support their success and that everybody can't play, you know, every role. Right. Um, you don't want your stylist drawing up legal documents or your legal doc- your, your lawyer doing your hair, um, but that they can – um, play a, a key role, and they can connect you to other resources. Absolutely. So I'm not suggesting that the individualized education plan, the IEP plan for special education students is as efficient as it could be. I was, a, right. a, you know, I taught in a special education school in mm-hmm. Boston for young people with behavioral and emotional disabilities, kids that were trying to basically move from lockup situations back into the public schools. Right. But I started thinking, like, well, why doesn't every – young person have an IEP meeting at least a couple times a year right. where, where we're bringing together all the different people in this person's life, yeah. either with the, we should have the young person at the table, but saying, Hey, here's your football coach. Here's your art teacher. Here's, you know, somebody from mom or dad or aunt or uncle or a legal guardian from home. Here's if you're having a hard time, here's your social worker. Let's sit down together and create an ed plan for you. Yeah. What per- I don't know what percent. I'm not a statistician, but what percentage of students right now get IEPs written for them? Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't it be amazing? And I know I'm idealistic here, but what if we had individualized education plans for every young person? Mm-hmm. And I think the openness right now and the lack of definition for what older youth after-school programming is allows us to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we sit down with a team of people. We coach the young person like hey you should get involved in this Mm -hmm. you've got an interest in art do you know that this exists let me connect you let's bring that person into the table to Mm -hmm. talk to you i think the the trouble is that when you formalize it and you turn it into a a bureaucratic process with forms that it almost becomes something completely different than it started out as so the iep is something that just has to get done for the kid um as opposed to a human kind of experience that you're talking about where um, it's not just people. It's not the social worker, the this, the that, who are sitting down. It's individuals who know that young person, who that young person has a connection to and trust. Right. That's but a really different experience. I, I'm not sure how to explain this, but I get scared of stopping when we stop working towards the ideal because yeah. it seems impossible. Right. So everybody says the the immediate response when I say every young person should have an individualized education plan and we should have 3 4 meetings if not more plus sub meetings everyone says well that's impossible. But why we won't get there and I understand that. But why not try to move towards that as opposed to saying that's impossible and let's stop. Right. I I, I get frustrated with that. 
in a lot of areas. But I get frustrated when we say, let's stop working towards the ideal. Let's stop working towards the utopia because it's too hard. Yeah. Okay, so let's be realistic. We're not going to meet it. But heck, if we could do that for half a dozen students Mm -hmm. in a school, that would be amazing as a start. Yeah. Also, I mean, I I don't even think it's necessary to say we're not going to meet it. Like, I mean – there's been all kinds of huge changes in the world and some of them have happened really fast. I mean, the, if you look at, you know, your experience living right now compared to what it would have been 20 years ago at, you know, if we were the same age we are now 20 years ago, we have completely different resources at at our fingertips, literally. So I don't, I don't know that it's, I I wouldn't even, I don't even think you have to apologize by saying, I know we're not going to meet it. Right. I, I think that it's, it's worth saying the, the, every young person Deserves is entitled this. to this, yeah. you know, and we, I, I think we live in a culture right now where saying where entitlement has become like a dirty word, you know, where we, they, because Republicans talk about entitlements as, you know, handouts and all that stuff as though it's, um, it's not right to say someone's entitled to something. <laughs> I think humans aren't, should be entitled right. to certain things. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting, actually, that you bring that up, and it's a, a little bit of a transition here, but something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is in, in terms of this relationship to what the existing rules are and the speed at which society is currently changing, Yeah, we keep running into that. And I think we're able to innovate in, in an after-school setting in some really cool ways, but we often run into – Oh, social media. You can't use social media because risk management is never going to let that happen. Or how do we ensure the safety? And those are important questions to engage with. But sure. we keep running into, or I keep running into, and I think a lot of us are running into that is, well, we can't do that in schools because there's rules against that. Right. I said, well, I think the starting point is to ask the question, why? Right. Explain to me that rule. We've got a changing world. Our young people see the world and experience the world in very different ways today in 2011 than they did even five years ago. Yeah. No, definitely 10, 20 years ago. But throwing up our hands and saying there's a, there's a, a rule, the bureaucracy has told us we can't do that. Yeah. So therefore, let's not explore it any further. Yeah. It's foolish. We right. have to explore it further. We, and it starts with asking questions. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me why you're saying no to that. I right. want to understand what the rule is, and I'll see if I can find a a way to work within the 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 theory of the rule <laughs> and yeah. still get it done right. for our young people. Right. That's funny because I I was uh, sitting for breakfast earlier with one of your colleagues, Angelo, and I said I'm going to be interviewing Brad later for my podcast. What should I? You know, what should I talk to him about? You know, what sort of what lights him up? What you know, I wanted to get Angelo's perspective, and he said, "Well, uh, anything about the the status quo and just like the idea that we should be doing something just because it's the way that it's done, right. you know, is something that drives me nuts. Drives you nuts, um, and that that is a good transition because you know I, I think that your organization is somewhat unique." Uh, in just the structure of it, how it start maybe not how it started, but the structure of it, um, how it exists in relation to this nonprofit organization that you founded. So um, I hope you don't mind talking about this. Not at all. Um, Ch- Champions is a, a private corporation or a – It's an S-corp. It's yeah, an it's S-corp. a for-profit S-corp. Right. Um, it's, it, I like to say Development Without Limits is – it's not against profit. 
Right. <laughs> I like. I'm I'm a big fan of the new movement. Not so new, but past few years of uh, B corporate corporations right. or benefit corporations. Right. Or, not just for profit. It's not just for profit. It's yeah. a tax status. Right. Right, but also not just for profit. Like we're we're for a lot of other things. The problem is is that that the the tax status of for profit um, it, it makes it sound like all you're for is profit. Right. Um, and I, to me, the big distinction is between publicly held organizations and privately held ones. Because right. publicly held organizations, when you work there, your your sort of duty is to make money for the stockholders. Right. If you're the owner or co-owner of a, of a company, you can decide what you're what your job is and how you, what you value, how much you value profit, how right. much you value something else. Right. So Champions is a, uh, is a private company that uh, provides after-school programs in, in public schools and public charter schools as well, right? Yes. Um, and so mostly it's, it's public monies that are being utilized through grant programs in the state of California, 21st century money, that sort of thing, right? The predominant business model is that we're a subcontractor for a school district right. that gets uh, federal money. Right, which is the same model that many nonprofit organizations are. They're subcontractors to the school district. So in that way, it's it's no different. Um, but you also formed uh, a nonprofit organization yes. that sort of works in concert. Yes. Um, can you just can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Core Educational Services um, is a 501c3 here in Southern California, and the primary role is to bridge the gap between the private sector and the public sector. So we use CORE to bring additional funding into uh, after-school programs. And I'm very specific in saying into after-school programs, not champions after-school programs, because yes, CORE raises money and brings in additional resources for schools where champions is an after-school provider, Mm -hmm. but that's only a portion of the where the funding and resources go, um, mm-hmm. bring in um, foundation dollars and private sector dollars and implement programs where Champions has no presence. Okay. And why did you decide to form the nonprofit? Champions is doing very well. You certainly have your hands full with that work. Um, I mean, I think Champions one, because, is doing I mean, very there, well. There's a couple answers to that. I think the the one answer is because of the requirements within the grants and the contracts of mm-hmm. getting a match. And we found it pretty, I mean, very realistically, we found it pretty challenging with people's existing understanding of what a private versus a public organization corporation does in walking up to, you know, a, a private, another private entity, a, a grocery store and saying, hey, would you make a donation mm-hmm. to champions? And they're like, yeah, fantastic. Do I get my 501c3 tax letter? Right. Well, no. So that was so that was part of the reason. Um, I also believe in. I mean, I've I've referred to in the past, and I'm not sure what people think about this. And frankly, I guess I don't care anymore. I, I believe in the Robin Hood method. I, I believe, and it makes me a screaming liberal, I guess. But I believe in this Robin Hood method. I believe that champions can go into some of our more elite schools where the income, uh, the household income for the families is really high mm-hmm. and we can charge a premium for a fee-based after-school program and the quote-unquote profit from that program gets funneled into a school that has that is in a socioeconomically lower uh, threshold and, and 
it is only maybe getting the federal dollars, which I just don't think is enough. What, right. I, I don't want to misquote here, but I believe it was the Mott Foundation who put that report out uh, a while, a couple years back on what it costs. Mm-hmm. to run a high-quality older youth program. And I believe the numbers was up in the th- 30s, uh, it, high okay. 20s and 30s. And the state of California, we get about $10 per student per day to run the program. And I said, how do you cover the gap? Right. Well, I'm, I use CORE to try and cover the gap. Right. Right, which is, which is no different, really, from what other nonprofit organizations do. You just have two entities Correct. to do it with. Our business model is the same as a 501c3. Yeah. At the end of the year, the money that comes in is going back out to programming. You know, that's... Well, right, Ex- except for the money that, that goes to, to pay people. I mean, programming... Which is the same as it's, any... Yeah, I mean, the, prog- the cost of programming is primarily paying people to Absolutely. run the programs. Um, as the as the owner owners of the company, as opposed to just being an executive director who works for the company, you're getting paid... Gary's getting paid, but so do executive directors of nonprofit organizations. Yeah, so we're you're W-2 saying that, employees of our corporation. Right. So, um, and so what you're saying though is that you're, p- part of this might not even end up on the podcast because now I'm getting into the weeds, but I'm curious for myself. Yeah. Um, you're, you're employees of the corporation, but there's still a profit at the end of the, at the end of the day, there's also a profit. We, we strive for that, but no. In oh. 10 years, we've never posted a profit. We, we've reinvested the money into personnel or other resources right. to further develop the organization. That's not to say that we're not aiming for that. I mean, uh-huh. I think we are. But I, I, would, I would challenge any executive director of a 501c that's, 501c3 that at the end of the year doesn't say, yeah, we're trying to raise more money. Sure. We're trying to grow. Sure. I mean, most want to have a res- cash reserve if they can. Absolutely. That's really interesting. I mean, that that's not that's based on a set of values. You could cut corners, do less, and make more money. Yes. In the structure with, with a private company, that's the that can be the motivation is that if you do it cheaper, you keep the what what's left, as opposed to if you're an employee getting a. a flat salary doing it cheaper doesn't you know increase your salary it's not this is not just words it's a concept a theory of value a moral of the organization right bottom line for me is and will always be young people and regardless of an organization's tax status i don't think everybody and i would question even the majority of people have that as their true bottom line so what do you think is uh the true bottom line i'm a board member for of- a number of different nonprofits. Mm-hmm. as a board member the number one thing every, every, that i'm asked to do is fundraise mm-hmm. i'm asked to bring in money okay dollars but, are bottom line but the money ostensibly is for the programs and services that that nonprofit provides right yes so what, what i'm asking you is for those for those leaders of organizations um, where you don't believe that that young people really are the bottom is the bottom line. What is the bottom line that they're working on? What is the set of values that they're they're basing their work on? I think for many, it's expansion, mm. growth, power. Mm-hmm. So sort of like building an, empire. building Political, an empire. Building an empire scares the heck out of me. Why? 
because I think that our country is based on not having monopolies and not having, and I think that competition is really good mm-hmm. in, in a capitalist society. I think mm-hmm. that if we want the best product for young people, we need to compete. Mm-hmm. And I think if, regardless of one's tax status or private versus public corporation status, if their goal is to control everything, then we eliminate competition. Mm. Um, you, you and I, you referred earlier to um, when we were talking before we started recording to a session that you and I co-facilitated, co-designed and co-facilitated at a conference a couple years ago about how to take uh, business practices and apply them to after school. And it, you know, that's sort of similar to what you're talking about right now. Uh, But I also, you know, my thinking on some of that has, I think, changed since we did that. Um, Because while I think that there, there are certainly things that we can learn from business practices. I also think there can be a danger in approaching everything as a competitive situation or everything as a business, you know? Um, We started this conversation about in talking about how the most important thing we can do for young people is ask questions mm -hmm. and then listen to them. And I think that's the same thing here. No one's saying that it's a black and white situation. It's a one or the other situation. But I think that we have become scared in the education nonprofit world of looking at the business model and saying there's some – amazing things we can learn Mm -hmm. and that's what excited me about that conference and that presentation we did in the past is let's look at the positive things we can learn right and let's engage in what engage with that model to say what do we want to pull out and what do we want to stay the heck away from Mm -hmm. but listening to that model understanding it engaging with it is important that's education mm-hmm. and, and we need to do that as opposed to just throwing up our hands and saying we're not going to look at it mm-hmm. so what are the what are some of the ideas you think that are can be especially helpful from looking sort of outside the after school sort of nonprofit government public education construct i think that there's a lot that can be learned in the education field about uh, how marketing firms and advertising works. I think mm-hmm. we have to advertise. We have to change perceptions of schools because we need to be advertisers and marketers. We have to shift young people's perception about what school is instead of being that thing that they dread going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can sh- if we shift school to become the center of the community, the place where you where you hang out, play sports, be with friends that host celebrations for you. Um, I think that 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 type of marketing and advertising is really valuable. Uh, I think that there are some concrete concepts there like lost leaders uh, that we've talked Mm -hmm. about in the past where, you know, at the beginning of programming, you got to put some things out there that are going to cost – cost you a fortune and i don't want the budget people the cfos to say ah that's that's too expensive mm-hmm. say, Let, let's look at return on investment let's uh, if we have to drop a boatload of money in the first couple of weeks to get young people excited about what school's going to be like that year good spend the money right. you'll, you'll get it back tenfold with the number of times that young person comes to a program or in, in, how they perceive school mm-hmm. as a whole mm-hmm. um it's funny because I, I just interviewed uh, Michael Edwards, who wrote a book called uh, Small Change, Why Business Won't Save the World. And uh, the, the book is essentially a, a criticism of 
the philanthrocapitalism sort of model, like the the, the Gates um, Gates Foundation. Uh, who else is the uh, Broad Foundation? Um, others who look at um, investing in certain social policy, public policy that they've deemed important, putting their money um, to into organizations who are going to tackle those problems the way that they've uh, suggested that they tackle them, allocating money towards companies who are going to take a business-like approach um, and looking at return on investment and all of that. And I think the way you described it, it just makes sense. In another context, it can mean that the hardest problems get ignored because the easier problems are going to be the ones where you can show success. So we keep going after the easy ones and we ignore the harder problems. And the harder problems are often more expensive to fix, um, more expensive to even begin to address. And so I think that my thinking on it, and may, may have, I'm, I'm still a little muddled with it, but my thinking on it has become more critical of both sides. The, what you're agreeing with you that for people who are just totally in the bubble of school and nonprofit who won't look at the business world, that that's that's like uh, holding us back. But it's also wrongheaded to think that we should take a totally business-like approach to the business of working with people, to the business of social programs and um, education. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not – It's. I like to play in the gray area. Yeah. Um, I, I, it makes me nervous even to be – this conversation here that people are listening to for them to think, oh, you know, Champions and Brad are looking at it from a business model. I mean I am a social worker and a teacher. That's yeah. what my education was and that's what I continue to be. But I think that there is gray area between those two and I want to play and live in the gray yeah. area between the business world and, and the education world. I right. think that there's a really rich and, and – uh, valuable middle that we need to explore and and you know i'm i think one of the things that i i want to continue to have people ask me the hard questions Mm -hmm. and i want to continue to ask other people the hard questions i want to wrestle with the challenging ed reform ideas and i in some ways the big money from the charities from the 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 foundations out there pushes us to do that Mm. i i don't we don't always get a grant we don't often get the grant but the process of writing 15 pages about how i want to think about uh technology in the classroom pushes me to be better Mm -hmm. even if i don't become a grant recipient Mm -hmm. um and I'm sure we've turned in a lot of things that are way off mark, but they end up being my, you know, my 10-page rant gets turned in as a as a grant application. Uh-huh. I'm sure it, it gets laughed off the table, but it helps us become a better organization. That's interesting. So it's like proposal writing as a means of sort of your idea development more than just as a means of getting money. It makes my team not focus on daily operations. When mm-hmm. I say, okay, we're going to be going after X number of dollars. Let's get the team together in, the, in, in, the, in my office and we're going to throw up the whiteboards and we're going to start thinking and really engaging and start talking about how we want to go after this money. Yeah. It, for that day, for that week, for that month, whatever it takes, that's yeah. time that I'm not just thinking about daily operations. And it's too easy in our field to get sucked into day-to-day operations and what we have to do about getting kids signed into the program, feeding them a snack and yeah. getting them to do their homework. Right, and we don't take enough time to 
push and challenge. That's really interesting to me because I've just recently been involved with several different proposal development processes where we're a subcontractor or a partner on someone else's proposal. And um, I've been noticing that different organizations take uh, different approaches to that. And to me, I mean, it's, it, there's, I'm sure there's more than two, but the two approaches that have um, become apparent to me are the organizations who look to look at the request for proposals or whatever it is and try to almost approach it like it's a take-home homework assignment, like a take-home quiz. Like, I, I'm going to write this to answer these questions as, as well as I can and to, to, to write what's going to score the best, you know, the, the proposal that will score the best. And others approach it like here's an opportunity. What's going to be our concept? What's going to be our idea that we can fit into this opportunity. And like you said, throwing up the, the whiteboards and having those kinds of brainstorming and really looking at it like concept identity um, and, and figuring out what that is. And there's an exchange of ideas in that process and it can be a little messy. And, um, but messy is good. Yeah. Messy is good when it comes to thinking. And I've been very frustrated with the other approach and you know, it might just be my sh- my short term limited experience with it. It also seems to be the approach that um, doesn't work as well, because it you know it just so happens that these few instances that I'm referring to, they didn't get you know they didn't get the the funding, and the ones that we've got that have been the most significant have one have been ones where we've had a significant role in thinking it through and you know sort of feeling our way through the process and it's it's grown our ideas by as you said sort of putting that proposal together um so it's just it's it's interesting to think about and i it applies directly to my own recent experience and i just you know i wonder if there's some way i don't know what i wonder it's just it's really frustrating to 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 work with people who look at who just look at it like it's like uh um you know all you got to do is fill in the the bubbles right there's there's so many overused expressions that actually are so meaningful if you stop and really think about it and uh, and work within one of them for me is being outside the box. Mm-hmm. This is what you're talking about. Like even if we don't, if, if the money's inside the box and we're all trying to get there, don't, you don't have to be inside the box to get the money. I don't think, I think you can work way outside of it. And, and, and yeah, well, I appreciate that you're doing these types of things because I, I think a lot of us out there uh, are are really trying to wrestle and think about the hard questions and and have the hard conversations and the good uh, conversations that push us forward and uh, those conversations that are outside the box and um, they happen too infrequently mm-hmm. and everybody's scared of saying something that's gonna annoy everybody or be confrontational, but. I want people to challenge me and I, I, and have those harder conversations. And so how do we do that? How do we change the field? I mean, you and I are uh, about the same age. I guess we found out the other day. I'm a few <laughs> years older than you. But, um, but so, we're, you know, we're sort of at this point where we're, we're at a lot of conferences and we're, you know, out there in the field. And part of the reason for doing 
Please Speak Freely and for doing other things that we've been doing, debates and things like that, as I realized that I was complaining about something and I was part of the problem. So I'm complaining about how boring the conferences are, but I'm a presenter at all these conferences. So I'm you know complicit in the boredom, the boringness of them. So I need to do my part. So how what can we do to um, change the field? Because I totally agree with you to change the field so that it's not just the same conversations being had over and over again and the same sort of institutional statements, you know, about whatever is the current topic. Right now it's extended learning time or however you want to say it, expanded learning time, extended day, more time. All of a sudden this is the thing that everyone is talking about and there's like certain party lines on it and it's assumed that we all agree and there's not so much of a a really critical conversation where we say, well, wait a minute, let's let's like look at different perspectives here. Um, and so I, you know, I go to conferences, I go to things like that and it seems like it's almost a – uh, publicity platform for a particular policy set of policies mm. rather than an opportunity for, you know, different people in the field to be able to, you know, I, I call it geeking out, you know, to be able to like talk about all the intricacies and disagree about, we can, we can agree about, sure, everyone has good intentions for young people. I'm going to take that as a given. If you're in this field, you have good intentions for young people, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to, that I think you're, you're valuing the right things. In, in your work or in the direction that the policy and the funding is going. I don't. But I don't find a lot of um, – you know, I had to create this podcast because I needed a way in which to have these conversations more publicly because I don't feel like I have one. Right. What do we – what's our part? I think the question in there or the piece of the question in there that, that resonated for me is how to change it. And I, I – uh, bear with me on a little aside here. Um, my wife and I – uh, spend a lot of time sitting down over a glass of wine and, and like talking about everything from politics to religion to the future of the world to education to technology. And we, I love those conversations. It's one of my favorite things in the world is sitting uh, having those discussions. And then when friends come over, we would have that as well. And I started saying, well, we, we had this idea. We said what if we just assigned one person to tell us all about what they're passionate about for like 40 minutes and then mm-hmm. after that everybody can kind of ask questions and that would frame the conversation instead of the party breaking this you know the social gathering breaking up into six different conversations about hey how the red sox playing hey right. you know how's work these days so this kind of uh, information salon that they mm-hmm. used to have back in the you know back in the day in the early 1900s mm-hmm. said, let's start in- let's implement salons well, i think we need to do that with the conferences as well. Like, why not at an education conference have the CEO of uh, or a franchise owner of Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's come out and talk to us about what they do? And people would say, "Well, how the heck is that relevant at all?" But I got a funny feeling that a lot of people sitting there in the audience might might start thinking about, "Oh man, how, how does that relate to my classroom? How does huh. that relate to my club? That would be cool." Or what, let's bring out uh, academics. Um, you know, the academic conferences they read papers our conferences people get up and talk and run with a powerpoint wonderful i think they're both great but what if at the after school conferences and these get-togethers that we have like here in san diego what if we had some professors come out and talk about what's happening at you know the university level in the engineering department or in the law schools i i just think it might challenge us to think differently about the questions yeah hmm well, we'll get to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> Again, one of those like, huh, yeah, sounds great, Brad, but that ain't going to happen. Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's a, 
But that's kind of what I'm saying, though, is that it's not that ain't going to happen. It's that are you going to make that happen? Right. You know, or am I going to make that happen? It's that it's that for me, uh, part of doing this podcast and and part of, I mean, everything we do at Development Without Limits is maybe not everything. Some things are just that we have contracts and so we do the work. But a lot of things we do are things that we just decided to take on, and now we got to figure out a way to make it happen in the world. Like you, it's it's not enough to sit around talking about the concept of it. We got to operationalize it. Right. We got to actually make it happen in the world. But the thing is, things like that, you could make that happen. Like you know, champions could 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 throw that conference. You know, you could actually just host, like, do it yourself. You know, um, and that's what kind of what I'm saying is that I think that uh, that those of us who in the field, regardless of of age and all that, but those of us in the field who are frustrated with uh, s- somewhat one dimensional nature of a lot of the professional learning experiences that we're having need to make some things happen ourselves. You know, I just was at the bridge conference a couple of weeks ago where you met Zach Wilson, who, yes. who runs the bridge conference. And, you know, it's a, it's a standard two day conference, but within that format um, there, I think that they were able to really do some innovative things, really bring some things to life. And, um, and as I talked about with Zach on, on the podcast, that we did live from the bridge conference to do it in a way where people feel that they're being treated in, in a humane way, that they're being respected, that they're, um, they're having a pleasant experience. And above all, it's modeling the kinds of experiences that we want to be creating for young people, you know? So I guess I want to say, I think you're already doing a lot of that in your program. Um, from what I've learned and know about your programs that you're already sort of walking that talk, and I'm just glad to know that you're already – you're all always a few steps down the road. Like it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We've got to get closer to what we mean. We've got to get closer to this, to this ideal that we have in our minds and our hearts. You know? I think they, what it, they say about entrepreneurs and, and, and in, particularly, in particular entrepreneurs in the technology field, that say if, you, if you haven't failed – 20 times, 25 times with your new idea, with your new concept. You're not really going the right direction. It wasn't yeah. like these people that come up with this brilliant concept. It's the first thing they ever thought about doing. you got to try lots and lots of different things and think about lots of crazy ideas. And most of them will, will being you have to be comfortable that most of them will fail. Mm-hmm. But if one of them is a great idea and it sticks, you're successful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it changes the world. Maybe. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because I, uh, I think I prepared less for this conversation than I have for any of the other ones that I've had. And I think the reason for that was that I knew that once you and I sat down, the conversation was going to take on a life of its own anyway. Right. And when I look back at my notes now, I covered everything in, in my notes. So <laughs> I think we've done a pretty good job here. You think, you, you think we did it? Yeah, I, I, re- I think it's fantastic. I love, I love the conversations and the idea that I want to hear other people's conversations. I want to hear more people and, and what's happening in, in these types of discussions because pushes it forward. I think we did it. I think we did it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Okay, but you know, just when you thought it was over, it, it's not over. We weren't done. We didn't do it. Because uh, as, as Brad and I are sitting here sort of talking about the conversation we just had, we realized that there's an important uh, announcement that Brad has and that, that by the time this podcast goes up online, the announcement will be already be public. So we thought we'd use this as an opportunity um, to make that announcement even more public. So um, Brad, you want to talk about the, the name? 
Yeah, Ch- uh, Champions has always kind of been one of those, when people say, what is your business model? We say, say yes, and then figure out how to do it, figure out a creative <laughs> way how to do it. So in some ways, we didn't write down a huge business plan and didn't go all th- through all of the legal things we probably should have back in 2001. So because of that, the name Champions Adventure After School and Sports Programs um, has been, uh, we, we've been told by another corporation that had that name in the vaults for a while that they're mm. now making it public i'll just say it i it, it was coincidental maybe that that happened right after there was some words about uh, a national best practices resource book coming out and then all of a sudden the name champions uh was no longer ours so we will be launching a new name it, it, it is arc and the arc experience and then we will have a supplemental program where students in all of our older youth after school clubs will have an opportunity to have a online presence that is related to the clubs that they're involved with that will be called my arc so wow. okay. our new name is arc arc a-r-a-r-c it is not an acronym for anything okay but it could be all right i like to think that young people will interpret that as they see fit. Uh-huh. It's about academics. It's about uh-huh. recreation. It's about community. It's about creativity. It's about college. It's about um, all these things, which are all A, R, and C words, but okay. it is not an acronym. The arc, cool. the arc uh, symbol is essentially a C, 75% of a circle, and uh-huh. I'm tired of hearing about an achievement gap. I think we need to close the opportunity gap, there you go. and arc's job is to close the uh, gap in opportunities that we offer our young people. Um, it will be a young person will go through their ARC experience and they will have their ARC or my ARC. Uh, my ARC will be the online supplement to all the clubs that we do. Great. And, uh, you know, we'll post a link uh, to, to Champions on the website. And so it'll now be a link to, to ARC. Yeah, every uh, kid is still a champion by all means. But, awesome. uh, it, it, you know, so the game goes. Great. Well, I'm, I'm glad we have a chance to um, to let Please Speak Freely listeners know about this and uh, – it's a. It's definitely a unique way of of naming. It's like sort of an acronym, sort of not an acronym, which is pretty cool. I hope it makes people think. Yeah, <laughs> great. All right, so now I think we really did it. All right, we All did right. it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Yeah.